If you were in church six weeks ago, September 8th, you participated in my ordination as a minister of the Word and Sacrament. Before I was ordained, all members were asked to vote on whether to accept me, to call me as an assistant pastor of discipleship and evangelism. Now, discipleship and evangelism are words that you don't really hear much outside of the church. And just like in our workplaces, we had our own jargon, we have it right here. Christian believers have their own set of Christianese. But Wayne recently preached a couple of sermons on evangelism, so you should know what that means. And you, you know that everyone has some gift of evangelism. It doesn't mean that you're Billy Graham. It doesn't mean that you're the guy on the airplane who buttonholes the person next to them and says, do you know Jesus? You all, we all, have a gift of evangelism. And discipleship. Discipleship. That's another strange word you don't hear very often. And when we hear the word disciple, don't we always think of those 12 guys who Jesus called, whose names are recorded in the Bible? Peter, James, John, can I, can I name them all? If I can't, maybe I shouldn't have been Anyway, but disciple, disciple means learner. It means student, and we are all called to be disciples. In fact, the first word for Christians in general was not Christians, it was disciples. There were hundreds of them while Jesus walked on the earth. We are all learners, and here's what Jesus said about that, Joanne. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's from Matthew eleven twenty nine. There are a lot of things involved in being a learner disciple. We actually read about some of them in the um, readings this morning. Our responsive reading was about meditating, meditating on your law, O Lord. You learn about God's law by meditation. And Wayne and I are going to be talking about discipleship over the next several weeks. Now, taking on a yoke, that sounds a little, I don't know, maybe intimidating? That's work, right? If you're an ox, if you're a horse, you have a yoke. But Jesus' yoke is easy, and his burden is light. And, best of all, you find rest for your soul. If you think about Jesus, Jesus wasn't necessarily ever, as I can recall, worried or agitated. But that's how we spend a lot of our lives. Wouldn't you love to have rest for your soul? That is what he wants for us. We learn from Jesus both by his words and by his example. And that's our next verse that I have up here. And Jesus said this. Oops, that isn't the next verse. (laughs) Sorry. The uh, next verse that I'm going to read to you, Jesus said right after he washed the disciples' feet, he said, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, You should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I have set you an example. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus set an example for us in many, many ways. In this instance, by his humility in washing the disciples' feet, but also by caring for the needs of 
the poor, the hungry, the sick. That's an example that we can follow. He lived his life in closest relationship with God. That is an example we can follow. He had compassion, he had love, and so much more. And here's how the Apostle Peter describes disciples for us, and that's the reading that Jane gave this morning, 2 Peter 1, 3 through 11. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Let's stop there for a second. First, Peter tells us that we are called, we are called by Jesus. Just like this congregation called me into ministry at my ordination, Jesus calls all of us to a godly life by his glory and goodness. So if he does this from his goodness, we should accept it as a good thing, this calling. And we see that we're called to this godly life through our knowledge of him, which is what we mean by discipleship, that learning thing. Discipleship, learning, knowledge of him, continuing, continually learning to get to know the one who called us. That's discipleship. And finally, in this verse, we see that Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light because his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. We don't have to do this on our own. Jesus has the power. Through these, through his glory and goodness, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. That's the godly life that Peter talked about earlier. Having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires, which is basically what we mean when we say we're saved from our sins, right? We've escaped the corruption in the world caused by our evil desires. For this very reason, that is, to live a godly life and to participate in the divine nature, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge, knowledge, there it is again, and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection to mutual affection, love. Well, this list isn't like a ladder. You don't start with faith, and then when your faith is great enough, you get goodness, and when your goodness is good enough, you get knowledge. It's a list, everything. We are called to do all of it. These things are the things that we should make every effort to add to our life and to our faith all the time, and that is what being a disciple is. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, Peter acknowledges that we're not perfect, that we have to keep growing. They will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's that knowledge thing again. Knowledge, learning, being a student, all of them are essential to being a true disciple. Spiritual growth will affect the way you live. It will change who you are. What's the point of being a Christian believer if you're ineffective and unproductive? If you don't have these characteristics, Peter says, you're nearsighted and blind, forgetting that you've been cleansed from your past sins. I like how he says nearsighted and blind. Can you be both? (laughs) I think he's really emphasizing how ungrateful you'd have to be not to realize that you've been cleansed from your past sins and do a better job of loving Jesus. And the results of being effective and productive, 
Peter finishes up here with, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. God calls us to obedience and holiness. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. Pleasing God, pleasing God is the reward of our discipleship. That's a wonderful, wonderful goal, and I hope it's yours. Nothing, nothing and no one is more important than that. If you think something is, you're worshiping a false idol. For example, if it's your own intellect, your own pride, that you think you're smarter than God, you're worshiping a false idol. If you would do anything for your spouse, but you wouldn't do anything for Jesus, you're worshiping a false idol. Or if it's your grandchildren. I know people. Sorry. <laughs> or the sense of security that you get from having enough money that all pales in comparison to being effective and productive in your knowledge of God. So, so far I've talked about why being a true disciple of Jesus is our goal. It's how we find rest for our souls. It's how we receive a rich welcome into the kingdom of God. So, that's the benefits. But if being a disciple is so great, why isn't everyone doing it? There are costs. There are costs to being a disciple, and we've talked about that a little bit, but I'm going to expand. Remember how disciple and discipline are kind of the same words? For one thing, being a disciple is hard work. In Hebrews 12, 7 to 11, the writer says, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you're not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we've all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They, our parents, disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. God may discipline you through hardship. Ouch. Painful. But it's in order to teach us. God has a purpose and a design in what's happening to us. If you have a tumor and the surgeon cuts it out, it will be painful, but you will be better for it. God's discipline is not punishment. Never think of it that way. Jesus took our punishment for us. God's discipline is a test, the way a good teacher tests us. A good teacher doesn't test us in order to tell us how stupid we are. It's to help us to do better, help us to learn. Remember, God's grace is given freely. We don't deserve his love. We never will. But we have it anyway. When we decide to return God's love, when we fall in love with Jesus, we want to be the person he wants us to be, don't we? And that means changing some things about ourselves. God gives us hardship to help us learn to persevere, to be better, 
to be holy. And we can also discipline ourselves. Self-discipline is required to accomplish anything. I think of Belva and how she practiced piano all her life, probably, <laughs> from childhood. And without that discipline, she couldn't play the beautiful music she does. Most of us don't have that discipline of practicing piano every day. Belva did. Everyone wants to be strong, but only a minority of us exercise regularly. Everyone who moves here wants to learn Spanish, but only a minority of us take the classes, do the homework, and practice with our Spanish-speaking neighbors. If you make the effort, if you endure the pain, you can later reap the harvest of righteousness and peace that Peter talked about. So what kind of disciplines produce this sort of harvest of righteousness and peace? Well, they include things that help you to learn more about what Jesus teaches including Bible study, including prayer. They include things that take effort to ensure you're following Jesus' example, such as service to others in need and meeting together regularly for worship. Wayne and I are going to go into more detail about spiritual growth in the next couple of weeks. So, yes, discipleship is work, and many of us do tend to be naturally lazy. But keeping our final goal front and center, our harvest of righteousness and peace, that helps us to remember to do this work willingly. Secondly, being a disciple can mean rejection. John 15, 18 and 19. Jesus says, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you. I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Being identified as a disciple of Jesus isn't necessarily a positive thing in the eyes of non-believers. People will say things like, You're a Christian? Don't you know that religion is responsible for all the wars in the world? Don't you know? People will say religion is a crutch for weak people. People will say, the church is full of hypocrites. Maybe it is. But, oh, and one friend said to me, I don't believe in God. I believe in science. I think she was implying that I was a little bit dumb, not believing in science, which of course I do. Logically, these things should not be a big deal to us. After all, Jesus says here that he's chosen us out of the world. Isn't it better to be beloved by God than accepted by people? But, of course, this can be extraordinarily painful, particularly if it's your family who rejects you. I think of the people in our Spanish-language congregation coming to a Protestant church for a Mexican can mean rejection by your very own family. That's difficult. Discipleship means work. Discipleship means rejection. And discipleship means self-sacrifice. In Mark chapter 8, 34 and 35, Jesus says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. To be a disciple means to abandon your own goals and ambitions. It's to take up your cross means to imitate Jesus and follow the will of his Father the way he did. Discipleship means a drastic shift in your daily life. 
to take on the mission of Jesus even to the point of death. After Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension, his disciples, us, we, are called to continue his mission by representing him here on earth. I think also that this means that your cross is your cross, not mine. I can't judge your struggles. I can try to help, but I can't necessarily understand. Some people may be vocal about their suffering. Some people may not. That doesn't mean they aren't suffering. You don't need to worry about whether someone is taking up their cross. Just deal with your own cross. And here we are back to that paradox about salvation being a free gift, a free gift of God's grace, but it leads us to give up all of ourselves, everything we have, all the way up to losing our very lives for the sake of Jesus and the gospel. We can't forget that while we may never know personally someone who has died for their faith, Christians are still martyred in other parts of the world. I looked it up, and according to Open Doors Ministry, in 2019, this year, they say that about 11 Christians are killed every single day for their faith. In places like North Korea, Afghanistan, Somalia, Libya, Pakistan, that sort of surprised me, Sudan, Eritrea, and even in India. And of course, murdering believers is only the tip of the persecution I We aren't likely to be called to literally die for our faith in Jesus, but all of us are called to deny ourselves and take up whatever our cross may be every single day. I want to read you one final quote from a famous 20th century theologian, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship, and he said, As we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. We give over our lives to death. Thus it begins. The cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life. No, it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Strong words. And of course, Bonhoeffer is talking about the verse we just read. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. The cross is the beginning, the beginning of our communion with Christ. Discipleship is a lifelong process of learning from Jesus how we give up our lives. Amen.